Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. As we've talked about on the program many, many times, there's such a transition that has to occur as we enter into value-based contracts, and in particular, as we enter into risk-based contracts. Um, you know, as we all know, value-based really um, allows us to manage the population. We're focused on many different outcomes many different changes that support our physicians and whether it be their clinical workflow or changes in the care model, all of that becomes important, especially if we want to take care of patients beyond just the care that is being done within their clinics. The documentation, the care model, the support that we give to our patients, critically important. That drives the success of our value-based contracts. But when we think about that, there's been so much attention that's been given to changes in the care model and the the level of of outcomes that we need to focus on. Only now are we starting to see the importance of modifications of enhancements to our clinical documentation. So in today's episode, we're going to spend some time talking about um, the new initiative, and it's not really new because it's been happening for quite a while, particularly on the hospital side, but the need to really advance the ambulatory clinical documentation improvement. I'm excited about today's discussion. We've got two ladies joining us that have done a great job within their health systems, within their programs on building a real strong clinical documentation improvement program on the ambulatory side. First joining us today is Dr. Pervy Shah. Dr. Shah is a primary care internist and medical director of population health for a large health system here in Chicago. Also joined by her colleague, the administrator, system director of ambulatory risk adjustment and clinical documentation integrity, Sarah Hartley. Sarah and, and Dr. Shah, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Sarah, let's start with you. You know, as I mentioned, and, and we've done quite a bit of work helping organizations move into value-based care, everything from strategy to the managed care contracting. Um, a lot of folks have focused on their clinical programs, looking at the outcomes, maybe enhancing some of their systems, less focus on the documentation. Why all of a sudden, in your opinion, um, has this been a focus? Why hasn't it been a focus sooner as organizations started to get involved in value-based care? So value-based care has been around for a while, uh, but it's been focused on the hospital side, right? And so as we see the industry shift and wanting to treat our patients on the outpatient basis, keeping them out of the hospital, keeping our costs lower, um, we are shifting that model to our ambulatory setting. Um, and, and, and the goal is to keep the patients out of the hospital. And we do that through quality care. <clears throat> our medical records tell a story. They tell the story for each physician looking at the record um, so that patient can have an appropriate continuity of care as they go through the healthcare system. And the only way that our our, uh, insurance companies know how we're doing, how we're performing, um, is through the documentation and the coding. That is our communication tool to our providers and to our payers. And so as we move away from uh, E&M and fee-for-service, we go into this value-based approach where we are showing 
the quality of care that we are providing, how sick our patients are, and really justifying the cost and the, the amount of money right. that we're spending to take care of our patients. Really, and, and, and really tracking all the activities of, of really what has occurred with that, with that patient, not just within that particular encounter, but really from a comprehensive standpoint, everything that that's happened to them over, say, the you know, duration of, of, of their care, if you will. Dr. Shah, how have physicians reacted to this? Do they see um, that, you know, the improvement to some of their documentation, not just improvement to some of their coding, but, you know, as Sarah said, being able to tell the full story. Has this been something that um, they've been open to, or has this been a challenge that they've really needed to overcome? Yeah, I think this is a really hard shift. You know, when you think about the ambulatory setting, you're talking about limited amount of time with patients, patients who may be coming in for a multitude of illnesses, maybe that really need some special attention to one or two, and you're being tasked with capturing and documenting on all of their chronic illnesses. You couple that with in the ambulatory space, we are really still focused on ENM coding, fee for volume, and not really fee for value. I think it is a hard hurdle to overcome. I think what is really important, though, is when we're talking to our providers, is this is really the next phase of how we deliver care to our patients. It's really how we keep the lights on and get the equipment that we need to take care of them. And so just as if there was a new drug for a chronic disease management that was having really good outcomes, we'd all be excited to, to start prescribing that medication. We should be excited about the opportunity to really convey the quality of care that we're providing through our documentation. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a great point. And, and I, would, I can't help but think that it, it has to be a real paradigm shift for physicians, particularly who have been practicing for you know, 25, 30, 35 years, right? Because they're used to really what I would call encounter-based practicing. And, and now all of a sudden we're taking in these other elements into consideration. And so when you started your program and you started to really introduce this, um, where did you start? Did, did you start with a couple of say disease categories like the chronic diseases, or did you start with a segment of the population? Um, you know, maybe, you know, Dr. Shah, you know, from your perspective, what made the most sense for the physicians? I think what really is helpful was starting with the why and really laying the groundwork for here's why HCCs are important in our population health strategy. Here's what an HCC is. Here's how it impacts the reflection of the quality of care that we provide. By the way, it also impacts reimbursement. Um, and then we coupled that with some very basic tools in our EMR. And then from that, from that kind of just foundational understanding, we've added educational modules. We've added the ambulatory CDI process that you alluded to. And so that is really sort of been an iterative process of starting from a foundation of understanding why something is important and then providing more and more tools and support and feedback to our clinicians about how they're doing and how they can improve. So Sarah, when you when you started to consider some of the tools, um, and again, I'm a, a huge proponent of technology, right? We've talked on this program many times that in order to really create efficiencies, you know, we have to help our physicians work smarter, help them, you know, not work harder, but but become more efficient. Obviously, the the technology and the tools help with that. Um, where did you start? What are the tools that are out there that help support them in improving a lot of their documentation? 
this is still a difficult space because tools yeah. are limited with the ambulance. No, and it's early, right? It's it's right? in the early stages of this. Right. So we we look to our EHR. That is the main mm -hmm. tool that our providers use. And the goal is to make it as easy as possible, um, reduce the number of clicks and the number of steps they have to take, and really embed our process into their day-to-day -day workflow. And then what can we help? What's what's the benefit that they're getting from us? So we looked at, you know, um, the uh, how the alerts fire in the BPA. Can we make sure that those are accurate and we can add information in there for them to address the HCCs with their patients? Um, <clears throat> we have a, sep we've separated out the queries that we send to our physicians because they get jumbled up in the rest of the messages and epic. What are the templates looking like? Do we have dot phrases? Are there other um, tools in the EHR that can be very easily accessible that kind of help the provider yeah. drive the, the elements of that documentation? Yeah, and really help them become more proactive, right? right? I mean, you see this all the time. One of the reasons why physicians, I think, get so frustrated is because there's there's just so much work that they have to do. And it's a lot of redundancy that, you know, certainly that they don't need to do or somebody else could do, or they've already done it. So their in baskets are, are huge. I think as you start to put in place, what I'm hearing you say is kind of those activities to help support the documentation activity will help them become a little bit more proactive and hopefully lessen the burden. Dr. Shaw, has that been kind of a, a benefit that you've seen from the program? I think absolutely. And I think one of the really important parts of our program is that we are going to our clinic business meetings on a regular basis and hearing feedback and sharing opportunities for improvement. And many of the times we do are able to take that feedback back to our team and think about how can we make something better? How can we make something easier for a clinician? How can we educate in a different way? Um, are there ways to make this sort of come alive for our clinicians in a way that they're going to remember what we're saying to them? But I think that engagement is key. You can't just set it and forget it with any improvement effort in quality, um, in qu any quality improvement effort. But I think especially when it comes to documentation, which is added work on top of the work of caring for a yep. patient, you have to be able to go back and provide feedback and say, hey, I listened to you and here's something cool that I can offer you. Or, hey, I completely hear where you're coming from. I'm a practicing clinician as well. And here's how I navigate this space and how I am able to be successful. Right. Well, speaking, you know, yeah, trying to just getting folks or getting the physicians to kind of speak from their experience, I think is, is the key. But what I'm hearing you say, though, is under the clinical documentation improvement program that you have in place, this is not just enhanced coding, right? But it's really enhancing what's being documented, being proactive and aligning it with the right level of coding, but understanding sort of what else has to occur, right? Even outside that clinic visit. Is that correct? It's. I would say it's really less about the coding and more about the documentation. Hmm. We can get to the codes if the documentation is there, Physicians are not coders. We should not be. We end up, you know, that is not where our brains, brain space should be spent. But we are experts at taking care of our patients and we are experts at communicating to our patients how we're going to take care of them. Where the work needs to happen is translating that into the into the electronic medical record so that others can see how we're taking care of our patients. And then as physicians, we get credit for the work that we've done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's been the adaptability on this? I, I can't imagine, I can imagine that it's, this had to be really tough 
when you first introduced this, right? I'm sure you've got a, a few scars and a few bruises. You, you, you probably both do. Um, how, what was the adaptability of this? I mean, how did it, did you find that physicians understood it and that they were able to, you know, they sort of embraced it or did they come to the meetings, a little kicking and screaming and saying, Oh, I'm not really sure what we're doing, or maybe this is just one more thing we have to do. I think it's a mixed bag. Um, at the end of the day, our physicians are human and mm-hmm. change is hard, right? And so you have to speak to where they're at. Um, yeah. And that in-person presence and having those ongoing conversations has really helped take in the program to another level where we have much more engagement. And I would say the other Just, part is that- oh, Go ahead. Sorry, Dr. Shah. Yep. I was going to say the other part is that there are going to be people who are excited about it. There are going to be people who are able to see why this is important. And I would grab onto those people, cultivate yeah. their excitement, You know, bring them formally into the program. You know, We have a team of physician advisors who are all very passionate about this. And I think it's something that sets our program apart. But if you find someone who is asking great questions or sharing great ideas, cultivate that that enthusiasm as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Well, excitement like that. I mean, that's contagious, right? I mean, that is really what kind of takes off. If you're just tuning in, I'm Daniel Marino. You're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I am here with Dr. Shah um, and Sarah Hartley. We are talking about ambulatory clinical decision programs, key to navigating through value-based contracts. you know, and 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 Dr. Shah, as you as you were talking about that, um, I, I guess a couple of other thoughts came to mind uh, as you were thinking about the adaptability here. Did you incorporate this, or have you incorporated this in, in any type of financial incentive? In other words, if you've been able to achieve better performance on your contracts, have you included this within your incentive distribution model, or rewarded physicians for higher adaptability, or something of that nature? We have included this as a part of our bonus metrics in primary care, as well as in our medical group and some of our specialties as well. We understand that this is more work for all of our clinicians and we want to reward them. We want to make sure we're doing so in a compliant way, though, so that's why our program exists. We're really focused on the I in the clinical documentation integrity, you know, acronym. And so we're not just rewarding people for clicks and for adding diagnoses. We're doing it for adding accurate diagnoses and supporting the documentation. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, those are the key drivers because sometimes you can see this as just like you said, adding more clicks or adding more codes or more diagnoses or or what have you. And that could have some impact to, to risk and the RAF score and all that stuff, which is, I guess, all good. But at the end of the day, that's not going to get you where you want to go. We need to make sure that the risk score is accurate. We need to make sure that the patients that we're seeing and, and how we're, we're seeing them either whether in the clinic or the referrals is efficient because it affects the cost of care. We also have to make sure that utilization is as efficient as possible. So I agree with you. I think the, the integrity piece is really key. Um, and I think wrapping that within the incentive program that's how you really, really create some some strong momentum, Sarah. When when you've when you've all started to align this or, or thought about this and with the contracts, um, have you been able to see that the performance of the contracts, the connection between what the physicians have done, improvement in the documentation, so forth, 
have you seen greater performance or alignment with the contracts and with the payers in a way that it's helped maybe the discussions you're having with the payers or something in that regard? Yeah, so I think the key, one of the keys to being successful in this space is having those relationships with the payers. And we have monthly meetings with each of our payers and we are seeing improvement. We are seeing our RAF score increase. We're seeing yeah. the recapture rate increase year over year. Um, you know, we're seeing our annual wellness visits increase. And so there is definitely um, improvement as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So what about the challenges? I mean, I, I imagine this can't be easy, right? This is, you know, cannot be easy at all. It's a it's a paradigm shift, you know, like, like we talked about, we're, we're introducing new things. Um, you know, Sarah, from your perspective, what's been the biggest challenge that you've had as you've, if you've introduced the program and now have worked through the program um, over these, you know, last period of time? Well, we're boiling the ocean here. I mean, we are just kind of scratching the surface. Um, and, you know, primary care is a great place to start, but our specialists, really have that knowledge to get us to that next level code that is really specific. So how do we get them engaged? Uh, we can't put everything on primary care. How do we please every payer? All of the contracts are different. The reporting right. is different. We don't even get the same information from each payer. Um, do we have all of the claims data, right? And so there's all of this lag and these nuances with our metrics, with the data we receive. We have limitations with the technology. Um, you know, it, it is every aspect, I will tell you, we have challenges with staffing. We, we firmly believe in training from the mm -hmm. ground up because we aren't going to find seasoned ambulatory right. CDI staff. And so we bring in people and we train them from the ground up. And we've been very successful with that as well. Yeah, that's great. How about from your perspective, Dr. Shaw, what's been some of the biggest challenges that you've seen? I think the biggest challenge is that it is very hard to show the value of the work that is done in a way that feels immediate to a provider. It yeah. is really easy to say, I treated your diabetes and now your A1C is under better control. That's good for you as a patient and it's good for me for my quality metrics. When we talk about the reimbursement or the benefit that comes from HCC capture and documentation, there's a huge lag. Like Sarah said, it depends on what the contract is, how much it you is. get paid. It, does, it depends on where the patient was seen and how that money gets distributed. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily come back to an individual physician. So I think it is hard to convey to a provider, um, please trust me, this will have a benefit for us in the long run. Um, and we've been lucky that we have a lot of folks who just kind of take, take us at our word and we have to prove to them now that all of this effort is worth it. Yeah, connecting the dots, I think, is always the hardest, um, especially in value-based care. You know, when you're when you're thinking about what the performance looks like, a lot of times you don't see that financial reward until after that performance year. And in most cases, it's even four or five months after that because you're still going through all of the reconciliation. So, you know, in, in a lot of cases, we are asking physicians to trust the process to get us to where we need to go. Um, how has physician leadership come into play? You know, Dr. Shah, you had mentioned that, you know, you had had rolled this out to a number of physicians and Sarah, you had mentioned primary care and kind of rolling this out to the specialists. Um, have you relied on more of the rank and file physicians 
within your network to drive this, or have you really focused on creating, um, maybe working this through the leadership uh, of your of your of your network? I think we've really gone at it from both ways. You know, leadership engagement is so important for sure, and so we want to make sure that across the board that our leadership understands why this is important. But a leader alone is not going to get us where we need to be. No. We need to support individuals. We need to support folks who are in the trenches and doing this every day. And so while it is important to rally the troops when it comes to leadership and make sure that they can spread the message, supporting and kind of cultivating um, success really comes from, from our physicians who are doing this on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's a, I can't help, I, I can only imagine this has to be a pretty significant culture shift. Right. In terms of how we're doing this, um, thinking about changing the care model, you know, as well as then enhancing the documentation um, and and being able to 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 modify that culture. You have to rely on your on your leaders, but you also have to rely on good performance outcomes. Right. You have to measure your success as you go along. Um, Sarah, have you, you know, I would assume you've come up with some pretty good reporting or at least some data, at least some, some information as a feedback tool, right. That you can provide to your, to your physician, your leadership. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We have very manual reporting at this point. Um, manual reporting. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are so, it's so this, I'm telling you, it's very new. new in the industry and at right. a conference we were just at. We are not alone in this space. We're no. wearing lots of Excel spreadsheets. So, but using industry best practices like HCC recapture rate um, or query response rate is showing our providers that they are doing the right thing. Uh, we do measure RAF internally, our, our risk adjustment factor score. And really that is just directionally because as you right. said earlier, Dan, you know, that 18 months ago is when we're getting our or today we're getting our RAF score from 18 months ago. So, yes. you know, you can't really see that, but it is directionally showing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can see that. And, you know, I was kind of joking when, when you were saying, you know, manual, there are, um, there, you know, your recapture rate, the AWV percentage, all of that, I think becomes really key, but I think the systems still are quite antiquated, right. As you start to really look at how, what the physicians are documenting and is it is it accurate, right? And right. And, and the population and, that you're measuring is very important. Yeah. It and can we subset. do more? And yep, it is a subset of your overall, you know, patient population that is just in these value-based care contracts. So yeah. you have to be very careful. Well, ladies, this has been great. I, I tell you, and I give you a lot of credit for embarking on this in a way that you, it sounds like you've built some good collaboration and you know, understanding that it's a journey and it's it's not going to happen quick, but it's something that is that is extremely important. Um, Dr. Shah, for for any of our listeners, and I'm sure there's quite a few that are are really giving consideration to putting a, a ambulatory clinical decision improvement program in place. Um, what advice would you give them? So. There's a quote from Wayne Gretzky that often gets thrown around when we talk about value-based care. You've probably said it on this program before, but it's, you have to skate to where the puck is going. You're not going to be successful if you skate to where it's been. Yep. And so I think you have to start talking about HCC capture and documentation as part of your population health strategy as soon as you identify the need to have a population health strategy. Um, I think 
it's also really important to cultivate expertise amongst the folks who are going to be talking about this. I think on the surface of it, HCCs can seem really easy and it's really easy to understand. I capture this condition and I put down some uh, documentation and I'm good to go. But once you really delve into it, there's a lot of nuance. And as we right. know, increasing scrutiny as well. And so you don't wanna be in a position where you have um, not enough depth of expertise to back up the work that you're doing. Yeah, well, and I think to your point, you know, through that, skating where the puck is going, you're absolutely right. You're able to then connect the dots, right, and define the why. And I think that's so critical in helping physicians in particular understand why this is important and what the value is. Sarah, how about from you? Any thoughts, any uh, piece of advice you might give to our listeners? Uh, don't be afraid to take a chance. You know, a pilot is is where you begin. And that's how, you know, you, you just got to get your couple of physicians to buy in and 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 work with them. And, and the pilot is the way to go. But have no fear. Yep. Uh, got to start somewhere, right? Yep. Yep. As I've said time and time again, small and impactful. So you're right. you're right. Well, this has been this has been fantastic. If any of our listeners are interested in maybe reaching out to you, have a few questions. Um, Sarah, any thoughts on, on how they can get a hold of you? Yeah, you can reach out to me. I am on LinkedIn. So Sarah Hartley, um, search for me and I am out there. Please feel free to send me a message. Happy to chat. Good. Dr. Shah? Same thing. I'm on LinkedIn. Poor V. Shah. Happy to connect with anyone out there. Good. Well, thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Good luck to you as you embark on this. I'd love to have you back and maybe another you know, six months or so to see how you're, how you're doing. And I'm sure you're going to have quite a bit of success. So thank you for, for joining the program today. Thanks for having me. And for our listeners, I want to thank you all for listening in. Until our next insight, I am Daniel Marino, bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care.